It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. Doug Gray specializes in outcome-based leader development. He has worked with over 10,000 leaders in multiple business sectors, schools, colleges, as well as within families and nonprofits since 1997 as the CEO of Action Learning Associates. His, cult- his consultancy guarantees results using the globally validated AD. F-I-T-T-M protocol. Dr. Doug Gray, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Good to meet. Well, all right. So uh, is that, did I say that correctly? A-D-F-I-T-T-M or is that, uh, or is it AdFitTim or or tell us about this protocol? Yeah, AdFit is a pretty easy way to remember something. Uh, Here's the backstory that I think uh, your, your viewers might like. I, uh, I manage executive coaches, and I had an opportunity to work with uh, a Fortune 100 healthcare leader. Uh, I live in Nashville, and and they were looking at an opportunity to roll out um, coaching, executive coaching for all their physicians. Well, the question was, what are the protocols? What are the protocols for for coaching? How do you, in fact, guarantee that what you're doing is going to reach these milestones and exceed these outcomes? And I stuttered, like, come on, <laughs> as you know, healthcare leaders require protocols for safety, everything from hand washing to dealing with the coronavirus. But coaching, the protocols didn't exist. So I did some research, developed a, a dissertation, trademarked AdFit, and it's, uh, it's a pretty simple way to describe it. Gotcha. So the A and the D stands for uh, assessing Bert's strengths, and then D, determining a meaningful outcome. What is it that Bert wants to work on? Once you know those two things, then in each session, you can focus on the F and the I and the T which are, what do you want to focus on today? Easy opening question. I is, have you considered this interaction or this intervention? Because I'm a business psychologist, so I'm always looking for evidence-based or validated tools. And then at the end of every session, I I ask, so what are you taking away from today that you might use? And and the reasons for that are the client needs to do the work. So if I were coaching you, Bert, uh, I'd have a file, and it would indicate what your assessment strengths are, the D is what do you want to focus on uh, overall, like in that engagement, and th- and that's called outcome based coaching. Yeah, makes sense. Yep, I like it. I like it, and and I like the fact that that you're asking the client, you know, what are you taking away from today's session? I think that to me is one of the most important things because you and I both work with clients, and sometimes they're not engaged, or sometimes you think that they got something that they didn't get or, or maybe they have a surprise answer, right? If they, oh, you know what? I, I got this from our meeting today. You're going, wow, I right. didn't see that one coming. <laughs> I'm regularly surprised. And and what I choose to write down is uh, often as if it's a different person. <laughs> it's just, it's delightful. Yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. Consulting uh, is what it is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so uh, let's see. Uh, you have your third book out. It's called Objectives and Key Results Leadership. Tell us about the book. What was the inspiration? Because this is your third book. It is. Uh, it tells you I'm not the smartest guy in this conversation, Bert. <laughs> I enjoy writing, and I enjoy col- uh, collaborating um, with clients to share their stories. And that was the real impetus for this book. 
And I guess a place to start is you might have heard of OKRs, uh, objectives and key results. Have you heard of them? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, objective and key results. Uh, I think it's it's one of those key phrases that you hear quite a bit in the consulting world. Often, yes, often in the technology world in particular, and often with uh, companies like Intel and Google and, and and others who have had exponential growth. So it begs the question, how are they making the decisions that they're making for the last 50 years? For instance, why is it that Phoenix, where you live, or Nashville, where I live, is not the epicenter of uh, Silicon Valley? We've now got copycat Silicon Slopes and Salt Lake and such. But, but why is it that that geography was so unique? And why is it that when Andy Grove at Intel said, uh, we need a process for decision making, that it evolved over time into what are the objectives that Bert needs to do in his business? And then what are the KRs? So you've got three objectives that are gonna define your, your quarter or your year, and you've got maybe three or four or five key results, measures of each of those objectives. For most folks, that's pretty simple. And for engineers, it was what they needed to help manage each other and define OKRs in their workforce. Google um, didn't have such a model. So when one of Andy Grove's uh, colleagues looked at that and said, maybe you could incorporate this at, at Google, the founders of Google looked at each other and said, well, if, if our objective is to organize the world's data, then we certainly need a system for that. Let's try it. John Doerr was the guy who introduced that. And the, the story is, as you probably know, uh, representative of where innovation and accountability and transparency have come from. So it's a 50 year story. It's not a new story in particular, but when we look at the fact that the biggest migration of financial assets in human history has occurred in those 50 years, and it's occurred in one country, the US, in one state, California, in one geography, Silicon Valley, to me, it begs the question, why? So I coined the phrase, okay, our leadership, and I, I uh, have applied it at three levels, individually, teams, and organizationally, and there's countless examples in, in the book from uh, my clients who range from Fortune 100s to 500s to small business owners to individuals. And the reason is I think the OKR approach can be applied at those three levels, and it needs to be applied. How's that? I love it. I love it. Uh, you know what? And we know that systems run the world, right? Uh, you know, I always say you, you look at the you look at the pyramids, for example, the pyramids were compiled, they had a system, and they really lasted for thousands of years because the system worked so well. And the same thing applies, you mentioned Google, uh, you mentioned any, any company that, can, that has the ability to scale, they cannot scale and hold it together without systems. And, and that's ultimately it. And I think you know what separates those that are able to scale and those that are not able to scale is the fact that they, they do have systems and they work within those systems and, and they're constantly looking how we can make our systems better. Let me give you a real simple example of that. Are you familiar with uh, Imagine a Triangle, uh, the Dimensions of Success model? Have you heard that label? Uh, I have not. Um, I'll, I'll do it here. How do, you, how do you measure success? There's typically three ways. And this is going to be hard to see, but you'll get the gist. 
some people measure success by focusing on a task. If you get it done at any cost, it's a success. Other folks will say it's all about relationships to the extent that we can build relationships, foster goodwill and all that, uh, keep people around, <laughs> it's a success. Others will say to your, your point a second ago, it's all about the process. If in fact uh, we need legal compliance or HR compliance for some compelling reason. And, th and they're put there, if I ask them to place a mark, where do you, where do you indicate, uh, how do you measure success? I'm up here. Other people might be here, other people might be here, and somebody who needs to go from here to here, that defines their work. In fact, if somebody's process-based, they need to be more outcome-based, which is a common thing, then they need to get out of the protocols that have, that have constrained them in the past. I see this with attorneys and accountants. Thankfully, they're pessimistic, and thankfully, they're focused on process, because if they weren't, we wouldn't be as uh, compliant <laughs> in the ways that we are. So the point is, uh, is to ask, how do you measure success? And then what do you need to do? Where do you need to go? I, I just picked arbitrarily that one arrow in that one direction. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, again, that's a great question because so many of us define success in different ways. Uh, interestingly enough, um, there's uh, I have a, a client that I've been consulting with and, and there's two leaders in the company and they both see sales differently. One guy is uh, like, I'm a closer, let's get it done today. The other guy is, it's all about the relationship since you brought that up. And he is, you know, he's got a great closing ratio, but it takes him weeks. And the reason why is because he's really about developing that relationship. Right. And, and he he does kind of like the reverse close. He just builds a relationship until people say, "Well, okay, I'm I'm ready. What's the next step?" And of course, the other guy is like, you know, the, the, your typical closer kind of guy. Hey, we we you know, he looks at success as how quickly can I close this deal? So mm -hmm. time and and closing the deal. And, and you know, obviously, you know, the, having a relationship is important. I think that having this triangle, what did you call it? Dimensions of success. Triangle, yeah. make it up. It's been around forever. Yep. Okay. Dimensions of success. I think, uh, you know, having a, a, a little, what do you call it? That, that triangle, I think, is a great representation of those different aspects that we need to consider. Right. And back to your pyramid example, we've all got systems uh, or hacks or uh, ways in which we describe the world around us. So your example of the guy who closes in a certain way is representative. And, and the beauty, I think, is that uh, you and I are, are infinitely complex. So the relationship between you and I should be infinitely complex. It has to be. How could it right. be anything else? Which means there's always going to be room for you to host podcasts <laughs> and me to consult with leaders. Right. Because by definition, leaders need to influence the behavior of others. And the only way to do that is, is publicly, optimistically. Yeah. All right. So speaking of definition of a leader when when you hear the word leader or leadership what is your definition it's what i just said uh leaders are, are required to influence the behaviors of others i'm a behavioralist by training and there are a lot of people who aspire to be leaders but don't think that they're leaders uh just last week i gave a talk to 750 people and i asked that question how many of you are managers and about 70 percent of them raised their hand uh, because it's in their job title and managers by definition, need to maximize the productivity of others. So they raise their hand, they're comfortable being managers, thinking of themselves as managers. Well, the 
Next question needs to be, how many of you think of yourself as leaders? And uh, sadly, 70% sat on their hands. And I see this again and again. I think uh, too many people are capable of being leaders, but don't know what that means. So I've been focused all my career on leadership development. And it doesn't matter whether we're in the wilderness environment. Um, in, in my 20s, I worked in outward bound schools and, and various wilderness environments. Or in prep schools where I spent my 20s and 30s or in Fortune 100 companies, which is where I subsequently worked. Leaders need to practice leadership. And we don't, we don't use that phrase, which I think is odd. You know, physicians get to practice medicine, which is a beautiful thing. And attorneys get to practice law. Similarly, beautiful. Why is it that leaders aren't given permission to practice leadership? I think that's a sin. We can practice and we can do it again and again, and we can seek feedback from others. And when we get that feedback, then just like you're nodding, you know, we affirm each other or not. Right. That's a skill. It's just a practicable skill. Why is it that we can't be so organized? And we can. We just need to solicit feedback from others. Yeah. And I think that there's a couple of things there. Uh, One of them is a lot of leaders do not ask for feedback. Right. Uh, on the nose. On the nose. <laughs> Nonverbal. Hey, I'm, I'm the boss. Hey, I know it all and, and stuff like that. So sometimes it's ego based, right? Because there are some leaders that are, you know, that it's all about how awesome they are. Uh, and and uh, and then I think that this idea of practicing leadership, I love that phrase because you're right. Uh, I think that if you're a more of a uh, what do you call it, an awakened leader, for lack of better terms. You're more aware that you need feedback, that your job is to influence the behaviors of others. And and, and I think that most people just, you know, after a while they forget. And, and I think that there's this, you know, at least for me, in the very beginning, I thought, well, man, I got to know it all, right? Uh, I'm I'm the guy in charge or I'm the consultant and I have to know everything. But that's not true. That's a myth. And I think a lot of leaders may fall into that. Again, uh, they're afraid to show that they don't know it all. Right. They're they're, show, they're afraid to show that. vulnerability. It, it, it could be that they're fearful. You're right. Yeah. Fears certainly define us. In the last two weeks, we've seen this with the coronavirus and our response to a change in behavioral patterns. Right. Right. And, and it could also be that they're fearful of soliciting feedback. Several call this, calls this morning, Bert, and, and that was a theme. And I don't know if it's exacerbated by the, by the virus and the fact that we're in isolation a little bit more. But in this last week, I've found several leaders are not only more reflective, but they're more candid because mm. we don't know what the heck to do. Right. So we've got more time working from home if you're a knowledge worker. Or you've got more time without cash if you're a service worker and, and you're not able to be in whatever job you're in. And, and that's problematic, I think, for a lot of folks because it, it's, it's inviting us to be reflective and then to ask the deeper questions like, what kind of a leader do I want to be? And I don't mean a leader in the sense you just used, Bert, of, of a title, but I mean uh, in, in our world, our social worlds. Who do I want to influence? My kids my loved ones, my nuclear family, my extended family, my neighborhood, my social groups, whether it's a country club or a church, it doesn't matter what that area of sphere of influence it's called might be. But the fact is when we sit on our hands, we're not great leaders. When we stretch, just like we stretch with exercise, we 
excel and sometimes we go up and to the right <laughs> in our culture we want those outcomes and and i think it's hard sometimes for some folks so yeah. typically i give people a list of outcomes that are uh, validated that we know that people either request or they're important in the workforce and i ask them to pick three i like that i like that uh, <laughs> all right so again the book the book let me pop it up here one more time the book is objectives and key results leadership okr leadership let me ask you this when it comes to okr uh you've been doing this with okr for how long now well i've been doing an outcome-based work or consulting since 97. okay funny story i was in dc and uh had a couple business partners one started a program at georgetown one at, at johns hopkins and they turned to me and they said doug you're a coach i said really what's a coach <laughs> and the short answer is nobody really knows. The professional coaching industry is what, 20 years old? Yeah. Essentially, all you need is a business card. You can self declare that you are whatever. Absolutely. Over 50,000 executive coaches uh, known in, in the US. Well, what does that really mean? I think it means that we need to articulate a process like we did at the beginning of this call. Right. The theoretical construct is that people are inherently good and we're going to leverage your strengths that will attract certain kinds of clients. If your construct is people are broken and need to be fixed, and I'm the only one who can tell you how to do that, that'll attract a different kind of client. So uh, when I think about the work we're doing, I think uh, sometimes we don't articulate what that theoretical belief is. It's called a construct or a model. I happen to believe that people are inherently good and capable of being great. Okay. Yeah, I think the potential is there. Uh, we've seen, we've seen people. Uh, I, I think we've seen uh, a few people hit what seems to be their potential. I mean, and and that's, uh, you know, there there are some people out there who are, are iconic. They're definitely leaders, and they've done some incredible things. Uh, so, I, and I and I agree with you. I think that we do have that potential. Uh, give me some of the. If you will, give me some of the benefits, you know, some of the reasons why somebody should look at OKR as a process for them. Well, the short answer is all these books on my bookshelves and all the examples that you might be thinking of right now uh, tend to focus on one person, right? That charismatic leader, that heroic leader, and they're the ones who end up on the books. Historically, that's because some male wrote them. The reality is a team enabled Henry Ford and Steve Jobs and anybody else you pick to, su to succeed. Yes. Well, we know that the most diverse teams and the most publicly traded companies with at least 30% of, of their board comprised of women in divorce, uh, uh, diverse populations, often that represent the clients of that company, excel. So, okay, our leadership is a way to focus on that outcome first, and then you bring it back to the workforce. Let's say you want to attract new, new business or customers or global outcomes. Uh, let's say your objective is to um, increase market share. Pretty common sales objective. I would invite uh, folks to think about the relationships you're developing with other people because the biggest cost you've got in any organization is people. Talent management, it's 40 to 80%, uh, depending upon the sector of your costs, and it's 100% variable. So the reason Starbucks chose a few months ago to do some 
cultural bias training is, is partly because they wanted to spend four hours sharing with their, their associates, but it's mostly because their objective was to be known as a socially uh, woke or conscious uh, business. And, and this is not just a thing based in Seattle or based in certain sectors. If your objective is to uh, retain 100% of your desired employees, well, to me, that's a reasonable objective. It's aspirational, it's big, it's hard. And it implies that you don't want to retain all your employees because you've got some people you don't need. And that's called Deadwood. So it requires some kind of assessment and then some kind of strong decision-making to support that objective. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you hit the, I think you hit definitely, uh, what, what are the, what, you like the nose thing? Oh, the nose, nose things. <laughs> they could feel it. <laughs> yeah. We always have people that are quote dead wood and you know what? It doesn't mean that they're bad people for whatever reason. They just aren't working in this particular environment. Uh, I've had more than one employee who's left my organization and they weren't thriving here. They go someplace else and they're like, superhuman, you know, they're, they're, they're just hitting all sorts of new goals and, and, and things of that nature. So, uh, you know, it does work both ways. When you look at uh, 50% of the workforce right now are millennials and they expect to be uh, heard and they expect to contribute. There's not all, uh, there's not a lot they agree on, but they seem to agree on those two things, which is a beautiful thing because if they can be heard in your organization, that implies that they're going to they're going to share something. They're going to take initiative. They're going to become leaders of themselves or their teams. Well, what does that mean ahead? I think okay, our leadership is uh, inevitable. That it'll expand not only from the tech-based early adopters in a thirty or sixty or ninety-day cadence, but it'll expand to other sectors. As an example, one of my clients is a fourth-generation retail firm, and they're uh, I, I do a bunch of work with family business consulting. And, and the reason is that they're struggling. Uh, they all struggle with succession planning and they all lose sleep about assessing the leaders and what is it that my family member is capable of doing or not capable of doing. 100% of them, they always struggle. So if the objective is to accelerate succession planning, then the KRs have to be related to that. And it can be as simple as assessing the strengths of the current team firing and hiring those who need to support that team so that uh, they can discuss conflict and communication on a regular cadence. I commonly will do monthly uh, or so family meeting uh, training sessions. Right. It could be three or four hours. And the point is to get the people in the same space so that they can focus on the key objectives like wealth transfer or conflict management. Sure. Big these are the biggies. Yeah. OKRs, uh, I think, force us to focus on the biggies. Yeah. Well, and, and you said something earlier that I think a lot of people avoid, and that is the tough decisions. Yep. Especially in a family business, because it's probably one of the areas where, you know, hiring and firing is a very tricky thing. Definitely the firing. It's always emotional. It's always emotional. And <laughs> so did you know uh, that 70% of American business is family owned? Yes. I didn't know it was so big. That's, I think that's phenomenal. Uh, it's a significant percentage, and we typically don't address some of those 
concerns about conflict and communication. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, small business, these family owned businesses really are the backbone of entrepreneurship. They're the backbone of, of our economy. And, and, and it's just amazing. And, you know, you look at some of these companies, uh, you know, 50, 100 years into the future, like a Johnson and Johnson, that was still a family owned business. Of course, they're a conglomerate, but it still has a lot of the same family involved. Uh, Ford has, I think, a few Fords left in there. But uh, same thing with Disney. I mean, it, but, you know, they all started out as a family business and, uh, and of course, you know, have matured to where they're at today. And speaking of family, I want to talk about that because in the book, you also talk about family leadership and OKR. And so we're talking about family owned business. How do you see this model or this protocol being used in a family type setting? Uh, there's a chapter on it and there's basically two sub sub sections, I guess, portions within that chapter. Sure. One focuses on family uh, business consulting, which we've discussed a little bit. Um, maybe I should add that I'm a, a member of an entity called the, the Family Business Consulting Group, and the website is thefbcg.com. These are the premier family business consultants in the world. And uh, that group has defined some of the protocols and processes. They're prolific. We've published a bunch of books. But the other answer to your question is, uh, how many family leaders do you know who struggle? And I don't care if it's a mother or a father or a grandmother who uh, struggles. And I think it's it's because we have never been taught. There's no book on how to work and be a better family leader. Right. Sorry. And, right. and we joke about it sometimes. But uh, the fact is that we all stumble and struggle. Uh, we know that marriage rates are, are changing, but that represents some of the societal changes and financial changes that we expect uh, now. So we expect too much from one spouse when uh, it used to be that there was a small community or tribe or neighborhood or network that supported that entity, that financial and social entity. So as the institution of family evolves, questions become, where do I turn for leadership? I don't think we've been well taught how to be family leaders. So uh, the quickest way to do this, I think, is to consider having regular family meetings. Our girls are now in their 20s. I've been married for 30 years. Doesn't mean I got it right, but I've got some tolerant people around me. <laughs> and we keep experimenting. So the point is to uh, consider having a regular sequence, for instance, of a Sunday evening family uh, dinner at which somebody else will lead it. It's not always Big Daddy. It could be and should be one of the kids. And it could be that those activities include what's going on this week, what am I nervous about, what I'm excited about, and some fun activity. So it's not always the same person cooking or cleaning or uh, the same kinds of conversations. But if we choose as adults to share those lessons with our, our younger people, they then learn to practice leadership. It's a simple, elegant way to uh, demonstrate within our families how to be how to be stronger. The other thing is affirmations. We rarely endow our, our loved ones with the, the love they require. And we can do it in a, in a millisecond. So every morning uh, when the kids used to be home and when they come home, I'll stand and, and, and wait in the kitchen or wherever until they give me a hug. 
why? Because I, I need to verbalize, I love you, honey. And also there's an oxytocin release. So we, we know neurobiologically how to affirm others. We know to uh, compliment them because they're the most important people in our worlds, typically. Why is it that we don't do it regularly? I'm sure I don't do it enough. Sure. Well, and, and again, it's, it's, man, right there, that could be a, uh, we could probably talk hours for that one. I think that one of the challenges is that we, when I say we, I mean humans, you know, we, we take things for granted so quickly. I mean, I, I guarantee you that, and I'm using Mr. Kobe Bryant as an example because he's well known and it's an extreme example, but you know, when he got up that morning and they say their goodbyes, hey, we'll be back soon, you know, it was, it was probably kind of like, uh, you know, man, you know, hey, see you later, right. hey, love you, love you too, bye, you know, very right. everyday kind of casual. But if we came from a point where I may not see my loving family again, this may be it. I think that we would take a few more minutes to make that hug count. We would probably definitely affirm our love on a more regular basis. Uh, but we forget. I mean, it's just, again, you know, we're we having to forget. We can remind that? each other. We can coach each other. We can support each other. Yes. Uh, a third example, um, in addition to family meetings and affirmations, is, is some kind of gift. I, uh, at the risk of being to open uh, regularly write love letters. So every Christmas, the girls know that there's gonna be a time when they'll find this little envelope in the tree. <laughs> and the point is to take a few minutes and, and I don't have any expectation from them. I right. just want them to know that this is a ritual, that this is a thing we've done for years. And, and my wife, the most important and most tolerant person I've met. <laughs> so if I didn't do that on a regular cadence, uh, I, I wouldn't feel uh, honest in, in that, that relationship. Well, that's a simple thing that anybody listening to this could do. Sure, sure. Uh, you know what? And, and I think uh, those are great strategies because I, 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 I'm one of those believers that our communities are only as strong as our families, right? And, you know, when, when there's love at home, not to sound too corny, when there's love at home, you know, th that's a priceless thing. And, uh, you know, I and, I'm dynamic. Like and dynamic. So during yeah. uh, something like a coronavirus, it's possible that people are pulling their hair out. And it's possible that people are spending more time with their children or their loved ones. And they're doing uh, family photo albums or uh, video projects with their loved ones. Yeah. Or they're doing something for grandma and grandpa that they will receive a month from now. The point, this is a time for us to collaborate, maybe, in ways that we don't typically do. Right, absolutely. Uh, and- and uh, I pointed yeah. at a prop that I'm not gonna share because it's too private. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case so, you wonder. Yeah, so, you know, it, it, and, and you've been married 30 years, I've been married 33 years, and, and I also always tell people, uh, you know, because my wife is so patient and tolerant with me, because <laughs> otherwise it would, the whole thing would have fallen apart. I mean, it's just, <laughs> but 
you know, interestingly enough, one of the things that my wife and I have strived to do, and I think that we've done a fairly good job, is that we try to have a weekly date night, right? We do have a weekly date night. It's expected that we're going to go out on a date. It's our time, uh, you know, to express how we feel, to maybe talk about stuff that we, ha we haven't been able to communicate during the week. And, and uh, to your point of uh, doing, you know, little things, little gifts, if you call them, it doesn't have to be a store-bought gift, but I love the idea of you writing the the, the letter and putting it in the tree. And, and um, you know, I sometimes, my wife and I, we scribble things on, in the mirror so the other person can see it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those little gifts, uh, they are that. They're little gifts that let you know that you're still loved and you're still appreciated. And my gosh, that goes a long way. That, that helps smooth things out, uh, especially when you've been together for a few years. I have a friend who's Mormon, uh, Latter-day Saints. And I'm not sure if this is true, but I'm told that they think that uh, they're married for eternity. Yes. What if you and your wife adopted that approach? Honey, we're married for eternity. Let's try and get it right today. <laughs> well, the point. Yeah. It, it, and, and you know what? And here's the thing. Here's what I've learned. Uh, the, the biggest obstacle uh, with us humans, again, is that we are so judgmental of everybody else, right? We, we forget that we're flawed and broken, and so we judge other people. And, uh, and most That's of the time— in itself is a judgment. I, I want to invite you to pause. Okay. It's going to be perceived as harsh. It's going to be right. perceived as critical. Uh, by different viewers. What if you were to say instead, we're infinitely complex? There's no judgment there. The complexity of, of Bert is a beautiful thing. And I can never understand you. And the complex, complexity of, of Doug or any handful of people in the same room is infinitely complex. I think then it becomes easier to accept. There's, you're right, plenty of opportunities for judgment. Look at social media. Look at Christianity. Look at any religion. Right. And, and there's that judgment potential. What if we just accept honor? This is a shift in psychology, Bert, you might be aware of, uh, toward, it's called positive psychology, but it focuses on how do we flourish as a species? How do we flourish in our relationships? And I don't know how much time we've got, but that's one of my pet topics. Because <laughs> I think we can flourish without this, the number of judgments. Yeah, but I like what you said there, you know, Bert or whoever, Doug, you know, they're, they're complex. And, and I like the fact that you said, and it's a beautiful thing. Without any judgment, it's descriptive. It's descriptive. And, 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 we, and we are complex. We are uh, uh, all those things. And it is a beautiful thing. And I think that we, again, as a society, need to embrace that. And, we, and these are some of those things that aren't taught. They're not taught in school. They're not taught at home. Uh, and I think social media is a great way of distracting and confusing us. But, you know, bottom line is uh, everybody is complex. Everybody, you know, has their 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 beauty. And, and I think as you as to use your words, we need to honor that. And, you know, bottom line is I think most of us, if not all of us, we're just doing the very best that we can. And, you know, depending on how tired you are, you might do things better or worse because, you know, what's the old saying? Fatigue makes cowards of us all. And so when we're really tired, 
we're easily stressed and we we maybe are short with people as opposed to when we're when we're fresh and we have and we have boundless energy then people tend to be more patient and, and i think that again to use your vernacular that we are complex and it's a beautiful thing i, I have another call in a few minutes so i need to scoot sure. anything else that we need to wrap up with no, I think that's it. Uh, let's talk about the, you know, uh, let me show you the book one more time. The book is Objectives and Key Results Leadership, OKR, available at Amazon or wherever your favorite books are at. Also, we have, uh, let's see, uh, right here, uh, if you really want to find out more about Doug and his books and his work, you can go to actionlearning.com, action-learning.com. Doug, I think that's it. I want to thank you so much for stopping by and looking forward to catching up with you again. That'd be my, my delight. You're entertaining and, and this is fun and easy. Um, on that website, there's... Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch and check out our website at moneyforlunch.com.